0: Welcome to Life Springs with Pastor Craig Swanby. Each week we bring you a message of hope, love, and encouragement inspired by the Word of God. At Life Springs, it's our goal to win people for Christ, train them in God's Word, and send them into the world to share the gospel. We hope today's message inspires you and encourages you. But anyway, I digress. So today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is uh, also known as Shavuot or the festival of weeks. In Judaism, it is the celebration of the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Deborah, would you hand me my Bible that's in my um, brown case over there? I I forgot to bring it up here. I want to read a passage of scripture for you. But in the Greek, the word means Pentecost. So um, it's actually... uh, um, let's see, did I get it in my notes here? It's the first fruit of the wheat of harvest. It means 50. It is 50 days plus one after Passover. There, I got that right, right? 50 days plus one. Seven weeks plus one. Seven, we- seven weeks plus one, yes. So, um, and I'm going to read to you. Thank you. Out of Acts chapter 2... What happened on this very significant day? Just so you know, it's really here in the Bible. I'm actually opening up a Bible. You hardly see that in church anymore. (laughs) What's the Bible? This book right here. Okay, so... And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the, sound of the, uh, or when the sound occurred, the multitudes came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, "Oh, they're full of new wine." And then Peter goes into this whole sermon of what this exactly meant, and he talks about Jesus and how he was crucified and how he was raised from the dead, and three thousand people got saved in this uh, in this environment, and these were people from all over the nations that got saved and guess what they did they took this new message this gospel this good news they took it to their hometowns to their nations to their areas and it spread the gospel rapidly that was the beginning of the church and for 2000 years the gospel has been being preached do i sound excited I'm excited and you should be excited too because you know what if the gospel had not been preached if that day had not come if Pentecost hadn't happened we wouldn't be here and we should grieve in our hearts for all those who aren't here because there are thousands here in Spokane and the surrounding area who need this gospel you know what gospel means? good news we are the containers we are the carriers of the good news of the gospel of jesus christ that alone should get you out of bed every day excited when you wake up when you get up when you greet the new day the new morning are you excited that you get to serve jesus I am excited to serve Jesus every day. And I pray every morning, God, direct my steps. Show me who I'm supposed to talk to. Help me do something this day to bring glory to your name. That's why uh, I do what I do. That's why I've been in full-time ministry. Now, listen, I've been in full-time ministry since 1980. I haven't been paid full-time ministry since 1980. I'm not getting paid full-time ministry now. But I've been in full-time ministry, and guess what? So are you. Once we are saved, we are in full-time ministry. We just need to ask God, God, what is my ministry? What is my calling? And then go do that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Serve the Lord. Be excited. Be excited because this day happened. This Pentecost day happened. The Holy Spirit was poured out in one day, 3,000. And then multitudes were added after that. They were being added to the church daily. Isn't that exciting? Hello, welcome. I'm on fire. Uh-oh. Hold on to your hat. <laughs> We're talking about Pentecost Sunday right now. What an exciting thing it is to celebrate uh, this day. And you know, I, I I thought about it, but I kind of thought about, about it a little bit too late. We really should have had a birthday cake here, you know. I will find any excuse to eat cake, and this would have been a great day to eat cake, But uh, but I didn't think about it. So anyway, I hope that you are aware of these significant times. And guess what? During these feast times, is Jewish feast times. You know, the first spring feasts speak of the first coming of Jesus prophetically. The fall feasts speak of the second coming of Jesus in many ways. And you know, uh, there is going to come a time when I'm going to share a whole message on how that plays out. It's very fascinating. BUT YOU KNOW I JUST ON DAYS LIKE TODAY I AM LOOKING UP WITH A LITTLE MORE INTENSITY GOING IS TODAY THE DAY LORD IS THIS IS THIS THE DAY OF THE RAPTURE WHAT'S I MEAN WHAT A PERFECT DAY THE DAY OF THE BIRTH OF THE CHURCH IS THE DAY OF THE HOMECOMING OF THE CHURCH WOULDN'T THAT BE AWESOME I know you, some of you, some of, that's exactly right. The day isn't over. So be looking up, be praying. Hey, listen, I know some of you think, well, I've got unfinished business here on earth. There is nothing that's going to be more glorious than being in the presence of the Lord, getting your eternal body and, and uh, having eternity uh, to, to, to live out the life that... Is that, that's not mine, is it? Oh, okay whenever I hear that particular ring, that is my chaplain call ring. And so my heart races a little bit when I hear that because I think, oh, I'm getting a chaplain call. Well, guess what? we uh, I just wanted to touch briefly on Pentecost. We actually are going to be in 1 Corinthians, 11 today. But before we do that, I just want to finish up 1 Corinthians 10. Um, we're not going to, I'm not going to share a whole message on the final verses because we've covered a lot of this uh, in quite a bit of depth. But in 1 Corinthians 10 verses 14 through 22, Paul is again telling the Corinthians to flee idolatry. Now I've shared in messages past about how the the meat that was, uh, that was used for consumption was typically offered up to idols in idol temples, and then it was sold on the open market. And there were those believers who had a real problem with eating meat that was offered to idols and and it, it violated their conscience. and then there were those believers that didn't violate their conscience at all. They didn't care. they knew an idol was nothing, and so they would eat the meat. But if a brother was eating, uh, idolatrous meat in front of a brother that, who was weaker in conscience and didn't think they should be doing that, that was causing that brother to stumble. And Paul needed to address this, and he did. And in verse 14, he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The whole point of this was that if you see that as idolatry, then, then don't do it. You know, if to you, you're eating meat sacrificed to an idol is idolatry to you, don't do it. Flee from idolatry. He was reminding them that uh, if they know the food has been dedicated to an idol, that it has been dedicated to demons. So it wasn't the idol, the idol, that the created thing, that man-made, handmade thing was nothing. But there was a spirit behind that idol, a demonic spirit that those uh, meats were being dedicated to. And so um, he was saying, if you know something has been dedicated or offered to demons, stay away from it. Now, if something was, he also said, if it's something that set before you, you know, and you don't know, don't ask. Eat it, enjoy it. You know, don't be in, don't be concerned about idols or demons. But stay away from those things that you know have been dedicated to demonic forces. And you know what? That's true for us today as well. Not so much to meat. You know, we don't go to Safeway and go, well, I wonder if this meat was dedicated to a demon or offered up in, in an idol temple. You know, we don't worry about that anymore. But there are things that float around our culture and our society that have demonic or- origins to them. For example, stay away from Ouija boards. How many of you grew up playing with Ouija boards? I did. I hope you didn't. Because they are demonic. They are a, they, they are a, um, uh, a gateway to the demonic realm. And so Ouija boards, even though they're sold in the toy aisle of, you know, just about uh, Walmart and every store that has a toy aisle, they're not toys. They're demonic. Stay away from them. Horoscopes. Everybody likes to read their horoscope. Oh, what does this say about me today? But horoscopes are of a demonic nature. It was a corruption of the Matzeroth that God created. You know, God did create signs in the heavens. He called them the matzaroth. There is the story of the gospel in the Zodiac signs. But the Zodiac signs were corrupted by man way back in Babylon, and it became a demonic uh, source of worship. So stay away from horoscopes, horoscopes, astrology, fortune telling, palm reading, seances, crystals, and all their forms need to stay away from them. They all have a demonic origin. And so please stay away from those things. You dabble with demons. That doesn't mean you're going to get demon possessed, but you can be oppressed by demons. If you invite demonic forces into your life, uh, be aware of those things. Stay away from them, get rid of them if you have them. I mean, in Ephesus, they were so serious about getting rid of all that stuff that they had a big book burning. You know, and some of us, we have to go through our libraries and see, you know, are there things in in my library that kind of have a demonic origin or, or study things that are things that I shouldn't be studying or looking into? I know as a, as a teenager, I was always fascinated by UFOs, and I started to collect books on UFOs and, and that kind of thing, and, and uh, you know, pe- little green men from outer space and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I got to be honest with you, I believe UFOs are real, but I believe they're demonic. They're not people from, they're not extraterrestrial. What they are, are extra dimensional they are from the dimension of the spirit realm, and they are sent to deceive. In fact, there are those who think that it's the possibility that this whole, because the UFO phenomenon is becoming big again. Did you know that? It's becoming big, and people are looking at UFOs, and even the government is starting to look into it. Some think that it is setting up the conspiracy that they are going to Uh, um, tell people once the rapture happens is what's happened is that all these undesirable people, undesirable people were taken away by UFOs because certainly it couldn't have been God, right? So, very fascinating kind of stuff. But, um, you know, the stuff I was reading back then was not good stuff. It it led to a lot of confusion. I was so thankful when I became a believer and I ran across a guy by the name of Chuck Missler. You have probably heard me talk about him. He passed away a few years ago, but he became a real mentor to me because he was so biblically based in his... In his teachings, but he liked weird things. He liked to go off into weird things, and he has a whole book on um, uh, UFOs and alien encounters and things like that, and it's fascinating. But it comes—he comes at it from a biblical perspective, and so he taught me a lot. So, um, continuing on in chapter ten, verses twenty-three through thirty-three, Paul says, "Do everything." For the glory of god or to the glory of god verse 23 says all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but not all things edify let no one seek his own but each one the other's well-being and we've heard this a lot in corinthians in fact if you get serious about reading and studying your new testament you see that everywhere and my question is why should we Let the other guy take care of himself. Isn't that what the world says? Look out for number one. Why should I look out for you? Why should I care at all about your conscience? Why should I limit what I do just because it offends you or hurts you in some way? Why should I care? Well, if you're a person of the world, you shouldn't. It makes no difference to you because you get no heavenly rewards no matter how you behave. You're already under the judgment of God. But for those of us who are believers, it means everything because that is part of what God has called us to do. And he, he did it by being the example himself. What does the New Testament say? Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give himself a ransom for many. Jesus Christ is our example. He showed that example when He, the Lord of all creation, the God who made the disciples' feet, stooped and washed the dirt and the grime and the filth off their dirty, stinky feet. That's what the Lord of creation did for us. And so that's exactly what Paul is saying we are supposed to do for others. Did Jesus go to the cross for His sake? Or did He go to the cross for your sake? He didn't need to go to the cross. He would have been just fine without having to suffer that. And so we're to honor our brothers and sisters in Christ by being aware of others' sensitive conscience. Why? Because this is a service of love. Because we, you know, you know what the business we are in, the church business we're in, you know what it is? THE NUMBER ONE MANDATE, LOVE ONE ANOTHER, LOVE ONE ANOTHER, AND THAT IS SUCH A SIMPLE AND EASY THING, AND IT SOUNDS SO WONDERFUL AND GLORIOUS, BUT IT'S HARD, ISN'T IT? THAT TAKES A WHOLE LIFETIME TO FIGURE OUT HOW TO LOVE ONE ANOTHER, BECAUSE WE IRRITATE ONE ANOTHER. You don't act just the same way that I act. You think differently than I think. You behave differently than I think. And sometimes you behave in ways that I don't want you to behave. And I want to come and get in your face about it. But God hasn't called me to do that. God has called me to love you right where you are. And you know what? I do the same thing to you. You hang around me very long. You'll find there are things about me that irritate, uh, just irritate you. And yet, you know what? God's called you to love me too. We are in the ministry of loving one another. And by this, we bring glory to God. Our service to Christ is to present him through our lives so that others might see him and desire him. As we're loving one another, I mean, we should be the most loving and kind and and conscientious group of people towards other believers that you can imagine. Because the outside world is always looking. What does the world see when they see the church at large? What do they see? What do they call us? Hate-filled bigots, hypocrites. Man, we can't even have one denomination. There has to be 40,000 denominations. We can't hardly stand to be in the same building with one another. You irritate me, I'm going to go start my own church somewhere else. Because if I stick around here, I would either have to forgive you or kill you. And killing is often an option. <laughs> and yet we are called to be an example so that the world looks in and goes, oh, man, I would like that. Because I li- I, they really do live in a hypocritical world. Isn't it hilarious when people say, "Ah, oh, the church is full of hypocrites? Of course. Of course the church. Is. Do you think the world you live in isn't? How crazy. The church is filled with hypocrites because the church is filled with people. And we're all in different places in our journey. Now, that doesn't mean we're trying to be hypocrites. We're trying to get right with God, aren't we? On a day-to-day basis. And in the process, we stumble and fall and we act hypocritically at times. And then, in now we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And really, you understand, right, that the chapters and verses were man-made when God gave his word, he didn't put chapters and verses in them. And so sometimes these are not always divided exactly in the right place. And so uh, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 really should be the last verse of chapter 10. And Paul says this, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Have you ever had someone in your life that wanted to be just like you? I think there was a country song about that, isn't it, where the son says, Dad, I want to be just like you. Yeah. And it, I've heard it a couple cats times, in the really. The cats, in the cr- cats in the cradle. Oh, cats in the cradle. Well, um, but. Uh, I'm going to be just like you. Yes, you. I want to be just like you. Yeah, that's right. That's one of the lines in that song. And um, that's, quite a, that's quite a responsibility, isn't it? You know, when our kids say, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, I want to be just like you. And then they become teenagers and they go, I don't want to be anything like you. (laughs) And then they grow to be adults and they're nothing like you. (laughs) And yet that's a huge responsibility. Um, Is there somebody in your life that you look up to and you go, you know what? Uh, I want to be like that. Maybe not in all ways, but in some ways I want to be like that. I've had several friends in my life that I have loved their personality. Probably they're friends of mine because I love their personality. But uh, one friend who just retired from the um, Kirkland Fire Department as a captain, even as a young man, even in college, even when we were all kind of full of ourselves, he was always the nicest, kindest guy and just always seemed to be very perceptive of the needs of others and just was quick to, to respond to those needs. And I would look at him and go, Man, I, I want to be like that. I'm not naturally that way. I want to be like that. And then my mentor, the guy that mentored me in my early ministry years, just, he was so kind and so loving and just, I just loved being around him. And and he was a big influence. And so in many ways, I've tried to emulate or imitate those people in my life that, um, that have encouraged me, that have blessed me, whether they're directly dealing with me or just the way they deal with people or deal with life. I look at that and I go, yeah, I want to imitate that. And Paul is urging the Corinthians to imitate him, but only as he imitates Christ. I want everyone to know the same love and passion and, and desire for God that I have and i would love for people who are in my life to imitate that but i don't want them to imitate everything about me because i have a lot of flaws and weaknesses and so i can say you to you imitate me as i imitate christ but don't imitate the other stuff and it's so funny preachers have this tendency as young preachers we you know we're trying to find our voice we're trying to find ourselves and so we imitate a lot of different preachers you know, at first, but usually what we end up doing is imitating their weaknesses, not their strengths. And so you, know, you, you do have to learn how to find your own voice in your own life, but, but it's a good thing to find a mentor. Of course, we can imitate Paul by reading his writings and emulate what he says. But it's good to find people, you know, in your life too that have characteristics that you like, that you enjoy and say, you know what, I want to imitate that. Um, and you know what's cool too? Because I've done, I've done this for, for my mentors and for those people. I've gone to them at some point in life and said, you know what, I love this so much about your personality and it's made me want to be more like you in this way. So thank you. And you know what, you go to people and tell them that. Because it is so encouraging. And isn't that part of your job as a believer? To encourage others, to build up others, to edify one another? Find those people that um, that encourage you, that bless you, and, and tell them how they bless your life. Man, what a blessing that is when we do that. Okay. So we are skipping 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 16 this week. I'm going to cover it next week because it is a full topic that needs a full message to cover. There's a lot of confusion on that passage. It talks about head coverings and what women should wear and all that kind of stuff. And it has created a lot of confusion and even division in the church. So we're going to spend some time next week covering that. I wanted to cover 17 through 34 because this is the first Sunday in June. It is Communion Sunday, and it just so happens to talk about communion. So we are going to have communion, and we're going to celebrate communion as I'm preaching this message, kind of in the middle of my message, we're going to celebrate communion. So Paul goes on in verse 17. He's been instructing them uh, about a lot of different things. And then he says in 17, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it, for there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. I love a church potluck. Anybody here like church potlucks? I love a church potluck. Well, when the Corinthian church got together, what we call communion and what we celebrate as communion was quite different from the Lord's Supper that they had. It was really like a potluck. It was, they called them love feasts and they would come together in big groups, but they were cliquish and there were divisions and there were factions and they would sit with their group of people. And some of them were wealthy and some of them were poor and the wealthy people would come and bring their wine and their, their delicious dishes and they would sit and eat and stuff themselves. And the poor people had no food and they wouldn't share with them and they ignored them. They were not acting like the church. So uh, they were dishonoring the Lord in their actions and in their attitudes. And then of course they were being selfish by not sharing with one another. Now, thank goodness, has anybody been to a church potluck like that ever? Ever? I haven't. I mean, thank goodness we don't do that, you know, in any church I've been a part of. When you come together for a potluck, everybody brings everything, everybody shares, and that kind of thing. Although, you know, it, it, it can get very easy for us to get cliquish. You know, we maybe have some new people coming, and this is their first potluck, but, you know, we've been a family for years. We know each other, and we get together and laugh and tell our inside jokes, and we're having a great time, and we're not including the new people. And we're not making sure that, you know, that they're eating and that they're feeling included in the church family. So, you know, we got to be aware of that. Verse 20 says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Okay. She wasn't bugging me. I heard her say amen. <laughs> so um, notice Paul's utter disgust in this. Paul was not... Was not happy with this behavior. Um, They think they had freedom to treat God and others any way they felt. They were saved, right? Hey, I'm saved. You know, I'm free. You know, Paul's talked about freedom. I'm free. I can behave any way I want. Is that right? Well, Paul has spent most of 1 Corinthians already saying, no, you don't have the right to behave any way you want. You're free to behave righteously. You now have the Holy Spirit in you to direct you how to behave in ways that are pleasing to others, not just selfishly. Paul introduces the right way to participate in the Lord's Supper. So, uh, of course, we celebrate the Lord's Supper quite differently in churches today. Um, and so, uh, the issues that he is talking about aren't typically issues regarding the Lord's Supper or Uh, communion that we would experience today. But he says this, in fact, right now, uh, Tim and and Peter, if you could come and pass out the elements, and we're going to right now uh, participate in communion together. So he says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread... AND WHEN HE HAD GIVEN THANKS, HE BROKE IT AND SAID, TAKE, EAT, THIS IS MY BODY WHICH IS BROKEN FOR YOU, DO THIS IN REMEMBRANCE OF ME. THIS IS A PASSAGE THAT IS QUITE OFTEN SHARED uh, uh, AS PEOPLE PARTICIPATE IN COMMUNION. IN FACT, I SHARE IT QUITE OFTEN. AND AS THESE ELEMENTS, ONCE THEY'RE ALL PASSED OUT, WE WILL PARTICIPATE TOGETHER. one. There we go. And of course, I've told you this in the past. If I could figure out a way to get matzah to look like this, to be this small and easy to handle, because they come in bigger squares. I love matzah because matzah is unleavened bread. It is pierced and it is striped. What a great representation of the body of Jesus Christ that was pierced and that was striped. But we take these little tasteless wafers, and, but we take it knowing what this represents. This represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. So let's partake of this together. And verse 25, In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Our participation in this sacrament reminds us of what it cost Jesus to purchase our salvation. Now, there are uh, lots of church traditions that um, hold to different ideas of what this means. Of course, the Catholics believe in transubstantiation, that this bread and this wine becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. Um, We don't believe that. We believe it's symbolic of the sacrifice that he made. There's 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 about five or six different um, conclusions that people come to. It's very interesting how they come to some of these. So we have already taken communion, so this is a little bit backwards. But... You okay? Okay. Um, this is really when we come to communion... <clears throat> We should be prepared to take communion. So just know that it is our intention, unless something comes up unexpected or unforeseen, but the first Sunday of every new month is Communion Sunday for us here. So as we approach knowing that every first Sunday, how should we prepare to take communion? Well, verse 27 says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So what would an unworthy manner be of coming to this communion time? Well, it would be having a spirit of division or a spirit of heresy, believing or teaching false things about God, a spirit of selfishness, a spirit of drunkenness, a spirit of neglecting the poor. These are all things that Paul has been addressing in this passage of Scripture. A spirit of irreverence in the house of God, a spirit of unforgiveness, um, having unconfessed or unrepented of sin in your heart. These are all ways that we can take this communion unworthily. So it's very important before we actually take communion that we take some time and And we pray and ask God, is there anything in my life, in my heart, that is unrepented of? Are there things that, you know, God, you're dealing with me that I need to lay on the altar of God? What a great opportunity once every month. I mean, we should do this more often than that. But once every month in church, we can come together and collectively lay those sins down at the altar of God, the altar in our hearts. We just quietly prayerfully before we take communion, we ask God, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Lord, I want to offer it to you. What a great time of confession that can be. And verse 28 says, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So like I just said, take a moment before you participate in communion and examine your own heart. See if there's anything... That you need to confess up, Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Listen, there is no sin in your life that's worth dying for. And God takes this very seriously. He wants us to confess it, to repent of it, and to get right with him. And in, in fact, Paul says this, for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Many, many, I don't know how many in the Corinthian church, but just one church, one place, one location, many were sick and weak because they were approaching the sacred sacrament of God in an unworthy manner. So judge yourself. Oh, uh, before I get there, let me read two more verses. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Thus we may, uh, that we may be condemned with the world. So judge yourself now or be judged by God. His chastening can be swift and severe. Something we need to be reminded of is God hates sin. He hates the sin of the sin-filled world, and he hates the sin of the believing church just as much. So we need to be... um, I call myself a compulsive confessor because I, I tend to confess my sins openly to my churches that I've pastored all throughout my life, probably more than I should. There are times when my wife on the way home says... Really? You know, did you really want to say that to everybody, you know? Some of these things maybe you should just deal with in your own prayer closet. And I think she's right. I've tried to be more discerning. But, you know, I kind of just go, "Oh, you know, this is who I am and this is what I'm struggling with." Uh, and so, you don't have to do that. You know, we're not asking anybody to come up, stand up here behind the pulpit and say, you know, confess all your sins to everybody. But God wants you to come to the altar of His throne, and confess your sins. And there are those who hold on to, believers who hold on to unconfessed sin for years, for decades, their whole Christian life. And to the degree that they hold on to those things, they are damaging the relationship that they have with God. Now, I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation, but you're definitely losing rewards, and you're not walking in the fullness of the relationship with God that you could be walking in. So don't be lazy when it comes to judging your own sin. Be swift. Be merciless on yourself. Confess those sins. Get rid of them. Walk in the freedom of Christ. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to confess and forsake our sins. Amen? Therefore... What? No amens? (laughs) Well, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat wait for one another. Now he's back to the the love feast. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. I love that he says that. I mean, have you ever gone to a potluck and you're just starving, and maybe there wasn't as much food as you thought was going to be there, and you're just thinking, like, yeah, if I eat as much as I want, there isn't going to be anything. Or, you know, maybe there's a dish there that you really love, and you want to eat probably more than you should, and then nobody's going to get any more of it. Listen. Paul is saying, if you're that hungry, eat at home. Probably not a bad idea if you have a big appetite and you're going to a potluck, eat a little bit at home before you get there so that, you know, there's enough food left for everybody. I mean, uh, that's, that's always so embarrassing when you have a potluck and some people are, you know, didn't get much. That's, and especially if they're the new folks that, you know, we're, we're hoping to bless, you know, I mean, so I haven't noticed that here. I think you guys are pretty generous with your uh, potlucks here. But I have been in potlucks where it's like, because I have a tendency to be one of the last ones that will eat because I'm walking around making sure everybody else is eating and visiting and stuff. And there have been times when by the time I've gotten to the table, it's been pretty sparse. (laughs) It's interesting that Paul says, uh, the rest I will set in order when I come. So Paul concludes with addressing the right behavior when coming together for a love feast to wait on one another, to fellowship with one another. Don't be cliquish. Don't eat all the food if you're that hungry eat at home. But he says he has more to say on this matter. And don't you just kind of wish he'd written it down? But he said, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to address you guys personally when it comes to this. So there's some things that were going on that we don't know about, we're never going to know about. And you know what? Isn't that going to be fun when we get to that place where we can go visit with Paul? Paul, what was it? You know, what was going on in the Corinthian church that you didn't write down? I mean, he wrote down a lot of stuff. He was pretty open about some of the sins they were dealing with, but there was more stuff that we don't know about. So what is it that you hear God telling you to do or to stop doing? You know, there are the sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Sometimes there are sins because we're not doing what God has called us to do, what God has told us to do. What has God told you to do? You know, there was a time, I, I think I've addressed this before, but there was a time in the church movement called the shepherding movement. Anybody remember the shepherding movement? There was a time when pastors felt called, there were certain pastors, a certain group, that felt called to be such a, uh, so much in their congregation's life that literally the congregation had to come and ask them how to do anything pastor what car should i buy pastor who should i marry pastor i mean they and pastor what's my calling and you know the pastor had to kind of ordain to them this is you know this is what you're called to do this i mean they directed every movement of these people's lives it was called the shepherding movement and lo and behold big surprise it fell apart because who wants to be controlled and guess what i don't want to control you so you don't ever have to worry about that i am your shepherd but i am your shepherd only to the degree that you invite me into your life yeah if you want to come to me for advice on something i'm glad to pray for you and and share with you anything the lord might give to me for you but i ain't here to direct your life I'm not here to tell you who to marry, who not to marry, what to drink, what not to drink, what to drive, what not to drive. I'm not here to tell you that stuff. Now, I would love to pray with you if you go, you know, I'm praying about my calling. And, you know, it's kind of, there's like a couple things that I think I'm hearing from the Lord. What do you think, Pastor? I would love to pray with you about that. You know, uh, anything that you feel like you'd like prayer about? (laughs) I would love to pray with you, and we will discern the wisdom of the Holy Spirit together. Amen? I think that's how it's supposed to work. So I'm not going to tell you what to do and what to stop doing. Now, yes, if I see blatant sin in your life that's destroying you, maybe hurting the church, yeah, I'm going to talk to you about it. But I'm not going to come in with guns blazing. I'm not, hey you, you know, I'm not going to come with a self righteous attitude because listen, I got too many things in my own life that I'm dealing with. But I, if I came to you because I was concerned about something in your life, I would do so lovingly and kindly, and fearfully, because people don't like to be approached about their sin. But you, I won't ever have to do that with you if you will do that for yourself. You take your th- stuff before God and let the Holy Spirit deal with your stuff. Amen? So are you willing to obey and judge yourself? Or would you rather have God judge your sin and deal with you? There are two ways. I mean, your sin is going to get dealt with. If you're a believer, God isn't going to leave you in your sin. He might, um, he might have patience with you for a season. And let you kind of get away with stuff. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm getting away with it. It must be okay. But God will eventually come and judge. And if we judge ourselves and go before the Lord and confess our sins and get clean before the Lord, that's so much easier than, you know, kind of like the child with the parent. You know, if the child goes to the parent and says, Mom and dad, I did this. I know it was wrong. I did this. Mom and dad, they're, usually their hearts are pretty soft when their kid come and confesses to them, you know, and then the punishment isn't as severe. But when mom and dad find out something that the child has been doing that they have been trying to hide from them, ooh, that's when the hammer comes down, doesn't it? And sometimes the Lord, the hammer comes down in our life because we're trying to hide something from him, which is ridiculous. You know, I could hide something from my earthly mom, but I have never been able to hide anything from my spiritual dad. And you can't either. Amen. So uh, I just encourage and exhort you this beautiful Pentecost Sunday where the Lord is raining down his blessings upon us all around as he has continued to do all spring and hopefully doesn't do all summer. But on this beautiful day, I encourage you to EAT AND DRINK THE LORD'S SUPPER IN A WORTHY MANNER. CONFESS YOUR SINS AND GET YOUR HEART RIGHT BEFORE THE LORD REGULARLY SO THAT YOU WALK IN THE FULLNESS OF THE RELATIONSHIP THAT HE WANTS TO HAVE WITH YOU. LET'S CLOSE IN PRAYER. FATHER, MAY WE NEVER BE GUILTY OF BEING SELFISH OR UNLOVING WHEN WE COME TOGETHER FOR POTLUCKS AND BARBECUES AND LOVE FEASTS. HELP US TO LOOK AFTER AND EVEN WAIT on the, on the needs of others before ourselves. God, help us to be quick and discerning when it comes to judging our own sin. Forgive us, Lord, when we behave presumptuously and carelessly with the temple that you reside in. May we never take communion in an unworthy or careless manner. And may we always be quick to remember what it cost you to save us from our sin. Thank you, Lord, for the church thank you for the ordinances you established, for the purpose of bringing together in unity, uh, bringing us together in unity to remember your death, your burial, and your resurrection. We thank you for all you do for us every day, and we commit ourselves to you once again with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. And um, <laughs> and uh, don't forget, we still have Bible study on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. We're having a great time in Romans. And um, Push we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us today. Life Springs Ministry is made possible through the generosity of people like you. To learn more about today's message, visit us at lifespringsfellowship.com. You can also join us Sunday mornings, 1030, at 4213 West Garden Springs Road in Spokane, Washington. Also, you can find our daily devotions on Facebook. See you in church!